0: So good morning. Um, good news from a faraway land is like cold water to the thirsty. Proverbs 25, 25. And I certainly feel like that when I, when I hear these stories, just how God continues to, to work uh, in spite of obstacles, in spite of COVID. Uh, God is on the move. And when God is on the move, nothing gets in the way. And we're going to talk a little bit about that topic Uh, This morning we are going to speak about how God uses his people uh, to move his story forward, how he partners with us to continue to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to bring people into into that kingdom, into that family. So we are in a series, King Jesus, and today is part seven in that series, uh, The Charge of the King. Now, this word charge in English can have different meanings. It has numerous meanings depending on the context. For example, if your cell phone battery is running low, you'd better charge it. Uh, If you start a business selling products, you need to decide how much to charge for your different products. And if an angry bull decides to charge you, you'd better hop out of the way. And if you were a soldier in uh, the First World War, if your sergeant ordered you charge, if he gave that instruction, you would clam out of the trenches and run towards the enemy lines. But I'm not using the word charge in any of those contexts today. And as an example, as an illustration, a story of uh, what I mean by the charge of the king Um, I remember a time when I worked for my previous company. This was a long time ago, about 15 years ago. The CEO of our company uh, pulled together a team. I was part of that team. Uh, He set up a meeting and he charged us to set up a new research facility. It was to be the South African uh, Research Center for Nanoscience and Technology. And as he shared the vision with us, Firstly, he made it clear that he had the authority to do this. You know, he was the CEO and the government was involved and supportive of it. He had the authority. Secondly, he made it clear that he believed that we were the right people, that we were equipped. We had the experience and the skills and the qualifications to make this happen. He also stressed how important this project was uh, to the national system of innovation and to the, yeah, just to the economic well-being of, of, of all South Africans. Um, he also provided the resources for us to be successful. Uh, In this case it was a building and it was a budget and he also said that he was available and that he would open doors and we could access any information or any other person in our organization. So this was actually one of the most exciting projects that I've ever been involved in in my career and fortunately it was a a success. So the charge of our CEO had a few elements, you know, that helped make this project successful. He had the authority, Uh, he believed in, you know, that the team that he set up to help him establish this had the right experience, that we were the right people. Uh, He made it clear to us how important this was, that this project simply had to succeed and then he provided the resources to ensure that it did succeed So it's in that sort of context and that meaning of this word charge that I'm going to speak today about the charge of the king. And I'm going to read from Matthew 28 uh, from verse 16, and then I'm going to come back and and dig into these uh, verses in a bit more detail. But let me first read the entire passage, Matthew 28 from verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to uh, observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now most of us here are probably pretty familiar with this passage of scripture. Uh, But what I want to get out of this passage this morning is not only that we understand this command of Jesus, it's called the Great Commission. Uh, The word commission is very similar to the word charge. I like to refer to this as the great charge of the king. You know, not only do I, I hope that we'll understand what that means, but that we'll also understand where it comes from. I think previously when I read this passage, I have missed uh, some, some important uh, signals and, and insights into who the king is. So I don't know about you, but if, if somebody just gives me an instruction and I, and I don't know the heart of that person and where that instruction comes from, um, I'm not really going to follow it wholeheartedly. Yes, I might obey it, but I'm not going to, not going to put my heart into it. I'm not going to have a wholehearted devotion uh, to following this instruction. So it is important for us uh, in responding to the great charge of the king to understand something about the king, uh, just to understand what a good king Jesus is. And that, I think, helps. certainly helps me and helps us to then obey his commandments. Okay so verse 16 let's just get back to this. In verse 16 uh, we read that um, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now earlier on in Matthew in this chapter in fact uh, we have kind of a shortened account of the resurrection of Jesus last week Jason went, to this, went into this in some detail in his lesson on the vindication of Jesus. The John passage is a bit more detailed than the Matthew passage, and Matthew also highlights one or two other things that John doesn't. That's just the nature of the Gospels, the way they're written by different people for different purposes. So don't get too put off by that. But in the Matthew account, we have Jesus instructing his disciples, the eleven, because Judas Iscariot hasn't been replaced by now. He instructs them to go to a mountain, a hill in Galilee, and to wait for him there. Now, this seems very strange, doesn't it? I mean, these guys are in Jerusalem. They need to be back in Jerusalem for Pentecost, where they will receive the Spirit. Uh, but Jesus sends them off to Galilee to have a meeting with them. This seems like a long way to travel for a meeting. Uh, it's about a three or four day journey from Jerusalem Galilee. Uh, Between Judea and Galilee, there is Samaria. Okay, so this is some distance to travel. And I think we, as we dig into this passage, we'll understand why Jesus sent them specifically to Galilee. Okay, bear with me there. Alright. So Jesus sends them to Galilee, they listen and they're waiting for a while, we don't know how long, and then they see Jesus coming towards them. But then we read in verse 17: when they saw him, They worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, this is very strange because uh, we know, especially from the account of John, that on the day of his resurrection, uh, certainly Thomas doubted, but probably representing all of them, it's quite possible they all doubted, but when Jesus revealed himself to them, especially when he showed them the scars that he bore as a result of the crucifixion, they They acknowledged him. They recognized him as their Lord and their God. So why then, a few days later, would they doubt Jesus? Especially because they had just worshipped him. It appears that they all worshipped him, but some doubted. Now there is a view on this from uh, reputable Bible scholars, respected Bible scholars, that I'd like to share with you that that certainly makes sense to me. You see this, the Greek word that is translated doubted in this passage uh, is only used in one other place in the Bible. It is not the usual word that is translated doubt. And this word is more about hesitation rather than uh, not believing. Okay, so let's go with that for a while. Let's say that you know, Jesus came to the disciples, they worshipped him, but some hesitated. Why would they hesitate? Well, remember, remember what happened. You know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, when Jesus was arrested, how did the disciples respond? They scattered. They deserted Jesus. Now, I think it's very likely that the disciples Especially after they've had three or four days while they were en route to Galilee, to remember, you know, just the time that they spent with Jesus, and especially to remember how they had deserted him. And I think it's very likely that they hesitated because they weren't sure how Jesus would receive them. You know, would Jesus rebuke them? You know, would they be rejected you know, from the family? Who knows? No, but the, I believe that they had guilt, they had shame, they had regrets, which led to this doubt, this hesitation about how Jesus would actually receive them, what Jesus would say to them. Then we read in verse 17, sorry, in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But let's just pause there. Now, this is, uh, this is also super interesting and important to me. Um, what is translated here? And Jesus came and said to them, depending on the translation, it unpacks that a bit more. Your translation might read, you know, that Jesus came near and then said to them. The point is that in the original language, this is a sentence with three movements. You know, it's quite, it's, I think we can fall into the trap of reading this and thinking that, wow, this was a really short meeting, you know, maybe 15 seconds, because that's all it takes to read this passage. You know, the actual great commission, the great charge that Jesus gave them wouldn't take longer than 15 seconds to say. Clearly, Jesus doesn't operate like that, okay? And there's a lot more to this meeting and engagement with with the disciples. Uh, We can be sure of that. So in the original Greek, there are three movements. It literally means that Jesus approached them, he spoke to them, and then he said, Now, that's really important. So what we get from that is Jesus coming up to them, knowing their hesitation because Jesus knew all things, sitting down, engaging with them. And I can imagine, you know, on this mountaintop in Galilee, which Jesus has very purposefully chosen as the venue of this meeting, that Jesus would have reminded them of how they responded You know, when Jesus met them and said to each of them, come follow me, how they responded positively to that call. I can imagine Jesus pointing to the Sea of Galilee and reminding them of the storm and how Jesus used that storm to teach them an important lesson about doubt and faith. I can imagine Jesus pointing to the different villages where they went and the first miracles, you know, that Jesus performed. And just the amazing, uh, the amazing miracles and proclamations of the gospel and the teachings uh, that they experienced. And I can imagine Jesus reminding them of how faithful they were. Most of the time, certainly might have reminded them of their slip-ups, but I, I am sure that Jesus reaffirmed them during this meeting. I am sure that Jesus would have forgiven them, you know, for deserting him. And I'm sure that Jesus would have wanted to deal with their shame and their regret. And he would have reminded them that that is exactly why he went to the cross, to carry their shame and to carry our shame. And then when they had connected like this and they were a united team again, that's when Jesus gave the charge to go and make disciples of all nations. You see, Jesus is a good king. Um, He is such an amazing king. He is a king who wants to connect with his people. He's a king who forgives. He's a king who empowers us. He's a king who understands our weaknesses, right? He understands our struggles, our sins, our regrets, our doubts. Yet, if we allow Jesus to engage with us the way he engaged with these disciples, you know, our shame and our guilt will be dealt with. You see, Jesus is interested in our complete healing, not just our spiritual healing to be right with God. Certainly that's important, right? But Jesus is interested in healing the whole person. Jesus is into the business of holistic healing, you know, and especially including dealing with our regrets and our shame and our guilt when we let him down. Because we've all let Jesus down. Was it only me? Of course we have. You know, you and I have shame and guilt when we haven't responded to the words of Jesus, when we've rejected him, when we've thought and behaved in exactly the opposite way to what we know are the teachings of Jesus. But if we allow Jesus, if we humbly listen to Jesus and, and get into this kind of connection, huddle with Jesus, we will know his true nature, that he forgives, that he empathizes and that he forgives. And then he sends. You know, Jesus sends us. But it's important for us to know Jesus as both the the compassionate connector as well as the conquering king. And until now, I've really focused on Jesus as the compassionate connector. But from the next verse and starting off the great charge, Jesus makes it clear that he's also the conquering king with all authority. So right, now let's move on to the charge itself, the instruction itself from King Jesus. Verse 18, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let me just stop there for a moment. Now, all authority, all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Is there any authority outside of that? Can you think of anything, any person, any situation, any realm that is not under the authority of Jesus? In Ephesians 1, we read that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is the place of greatest authority. We read that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, that he is above all things, all names, sorry, in this age and in the age to come, and that God has put all things under his feet, including his church. And in Revelation 19, we, uh, we read a description of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. It's really important that we understand the extent of the authority of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I can quite easily imagine and picture and know Jesus as ruling over the universe, you know, out there somewhere or maybe in a realm we can't see, yeah, but that Jesus sits on a throne and that he rules everything, I find it more difficult to accept that Jesus has all authority over me. You know, my independence, my pride, uh, my arrogance can quite easily get in the way. I don't easily and always surrender to King Jesus. You know, it's kind of easier to think of King Jesus having authority out there, but not necessarily over my own life. So maybe that's just something for you to consider as well. Do we readily accept and surrender to the authority of our King? And as I said earlier, knowing our King as this amazing, loving, uh, empathizing, connecting King, a good King, uh, should make it easier for us to willingly obey Him, You know, to submit to the authority that He has. So Jesus then goes on to say in verse 19 go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Go therefore and make disciples of all nations You know Jesus does not say go and make disciples that is not that is not the great charge that is not the great commission Jesus says go and make disciples of all nations. And this is critically important to understand our mission church. Uh, God is busy gathering the nations. You know, God divided the nations uh, at Babel. Read about that in Genesis. Uh, He is busy gathering the nations now. He divided the nations because they were conspiring. Uh, They were collaborating to conspire against him. You know, he sent them off with different languages and got them living separately around the world to really suppress the sin and this, uh, this conspiring against him. But God is now busy reversing Babel through his church, through Christ. He's busy gathering the nations. Now think about how the disciples would have heard this. Yeah, I mean, in Matthew 10, we read that Jesus has previously sent them out. It's kind of a dress rehearsal for the, for the real charge, the real Great Commission, But in Matthew 10, Jesus sent them out and and said to them, uh, you know, ignore the Gentiles. Do not go to the Gentiles. Instead, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, that was a relatively easy mission for them, I believe, you know, being good Jewish boys. But the great commission, this great charge that we read about here to go and make disciples of all nations wasn't easy for the disciples these were Jewish boys, right? They were used to interacting with with their countrymen. But it is at the heart of the hope and the gospel that we take the kingdom of God, we proclaim the kingdom of God to all people groups. You know, how's that going with you? You know, are you proclaiming the gospel? Are you busy making disciples of all people groups, all nations? And this is so critically important to the hope that we offer the world. Remember, God, God is using us, he's partnering with us, his church, to move his story forward, you know, to the to the end that we read about in Revelation. For example, in Revelation 7 verse 9, there's a picture of, of, of a great multitude of every nation and tribe and people and language unified, worshipping Jesus, you know, the Lamb on the throne together. That is where God is taking his story and he's using us, he's partnering with us to get to that point. And when we make disciples of all nations, when we build churches that are that are cross-cultural, when we build churches that are multi-generational, that have people of all nations and tribes and languages and generations and all socioeconomic class, we are giving the world this picture, right? The picture of the age to come. It is, it is true that people divide along all sorts of lines. You know, Especially at the moment, uh, they divide along lines of culture and race and language and generation. And we, in taking the gospel, uh, in making disciples of all nations, are really showing people hope, that we are providing hope to a world that is so, so broken. So the Great Commission, the Great Charge, is not to make disciples – It is to make disciples of all nations. And we do that by baptizing people. Now, at baptism, we have our sins forgiven, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we enter into the family of God. And this is not a a time I don't, you know, this is not a lesson specifically focusing on baptism, but baptism is clearly a really important milestone in making disciples. But do you think making disciples ends at baptism? No, I'm sure you don't. Making disciples is a lifelong process. I am still being made a disciple of Jesus. I've I've been a disciple for more than 20 years but believe me I am still being transformed as you are. We are being continually transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We are still being made followers of Jesus. And how are we made followers of Jesus? It is through the teachings of Jesus. We help each other to obey. We are called to teach one another, not just for head knowledge, but to teach one another, to change our lives, to to obey, you know, the commands, the teachings of Jesus. You know, so Jesus uses his people to teach one another. And the definition of a disciple literally is that of a learner and a student. Now I think some of us find it easier to teach people than to learn from people, right? If the shoe fits, wear it, okay? I think some, some of us uh, are not humble enough to learn from others. You know, we have discipling relationships in the family to help each other to grow, to mature, uh, to overcome you know, sin and other temptations, really to continue to help each other to become disciples of Jesus. Now, so do you embrace teaching? That's the question. Do you embrace discipling relationships? Uh, do you seek out time and advice from more mature Christians than you uh, to become a better disciple of Jesus, to continue to be transformed, uh, to become more like him? Jesus then ends this with the words, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us? Jesus is with us through his word. Jesus is with us through his body, which is the church, right? Our brothers and sisters. But Jesus is also with us through his spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into this today. Uh, Please join us next week for part eight, which uh, is a a lesson about the presence of the king. But I would like to just um, summarize this lesson as follows. You know, yeah, Jesus has given a charge to his disciples. Jesus has given this charge to you and me. The charge comes from a position of all authority. My CEO who gave you know, the team that I was in the charge 15 years ago had authority, but nothing like the authority of Jesus. Let's accept that this comes from the one with all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth. You know, Jesus gives the charge to his disciples, uh, believing that we are equipped enough, that we have enough knowledge, we are trained enough, and especially with him doing this with us, that he believes that we that we can take, you know, the gospel to all nations, that we can proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations, right? He believes that we are equipped enough to do that. He also has created this incredible vision for us, right? This is the most important project of all time. You know, this is to give hope to a world that is hurting, a world that is broken, Right? This is to move God's story forward to the beautiful picture, the ending that we read about in Revelation. Right? So, this is a critically important calling. This is the most important charge that you and I will ever receive. And then finally, you know, Jesus has given us the resources for this charge, for this project. And the resources are varied. They certainly different resources, but the most important resource Jesus gives us is his presence. He is with us always to the end of the age. But just getting back to the disciples, you know, the 11 that he spoke to and how they might have felt about this charge to go to all the nations. Were they successful? Absolutely. You know, we read about that in the book of Acts. There in Acts chapter 1, you know, Jesus promises them his spirit. And then he says that you will be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, but then going through Judea and Samaria to the ends of the world, you know, to the entire world. And that baton is passed to us, brothers and sisters. You know, do you accept the great charge, the great commission that Jesus is giving to you and to me? You know, at the moment as a church, we are going through the 40 days of prayer. Uh, Just an amazing, yeah, just series and focus on prayer. And we have been encouraged to come up with a list of impossible prayers. And I hope that you have some impossible prayers about mission, mission mission-focused prayers, prayers that are based on this great charge of Jesus that he gives us. Church, I I hope and I pray that we are all praying that we will individually and as a church be fruitful this year, that we will take the gospel, you know, to, to many people, that many people will be baptized and taught to become like Jesus, be taught to be his followers. I pray that we that we pray bold, impossible prayers, that we will meet people that our eyes will be open to see the doors that God will open and the doors which God is opening now. And as God opens the doors, I pray that we'll open our mouths and open our lives to to take this incredible news that is the gospel of our King Jesus to the world and bring about the healing and provide the hope that our divided world so desperately needs. To conclude the lesson, I'm going to show a very short uh, video by Francis Chan. I think he makes a point that uh, really aligns uh, with this lesson, uh, but brings with it a particular challenge, which I hope you take to heart. See you next Sunday.
1: When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. It, 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 Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, It's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. (laughs) My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do, I'd start making disciples